We've all made promises we wished we could keep. We intended to keep. But one thing led to another and we forgot. Or we got too busy. Or we didn't realize the cost of our words when we spoke them. We didn't realize how much it would take. The truth is we've, we've all broken promises at one time or another. And broken promises can shatter relationships. A father promises he'll be at a game or a recital. And then he fails to show up. And the child learns that you, you learn that you can't trust that they're going to be there. That they're going to be there when you need them. That they're going to be there for those important moments. So you expect that they won't show up next time. A mom promises she'll help with homework when she gets home, but she's working late again. And when she gets back, she's too tired. She'll help you next time. You, you learn you just have to do it on your own. She breaks her promise. A friend promises you that they'll have your back no matter what comes, but all of a sudden you're up against the wall and they are nowhere to be found. They break their promise. A husband or a wife says they'll do something, but they fail to follow through. Just one more broken promise. We've all been on both sides of those stories. We've been the person who has made a promise we failed to keep, and we've been the person hurt as a promise went broken. We've been the one who has caused pain, and we've been the one who has felt abandoned and left all alone. The disciples during Holy Week were unfaithful. They failed to keep their promises to Jesus. They said they would go with him even unto death, that they would follow wherever he led. But then the events unfolded, and the shepherd was struck, and the sheep scattered. Just two weeks earlier, as Jesus came back to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, Thomas said, let us go with him even to die. But a few short days later, Thomas was nowhere to be found. Even the night of Jesus' betrayal, Peter said, I will, I will go with you even to death, Lord. I will never forsake you. But just a few short hours later, he denied him three times. I never knew the man. And all the disciples had agreed with Peter, and yet they hid. They were nowhere to be found at Jesus' hour of need. They were all long gone. We can't blame them. As the events of Holy Week unfolded, they started to doubt Jesus' promises. He had made a lot of big claims, but it wasn't happening how they expected. He had been arrested. He was put on trial, and now he had been crucified. They were disappointed. They were frustrated. Sure, they were sad at their own lack of courage in that moment. But it seemed like Jesus had failed to deliver on his promises. You can hear it in the words of the disciples as they're walking down Emmaus Road. We had thought he was the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped he would be that Messiah. He had made these promises. He seemed like a man powerful in word and deed. But now he's in the grave. It doesn't seem like he's able to deliver on his word. Sure, they were ashamed of their own cowardice. 
but it seemed like Jesus had failed to deliver on his promises. And that night, we read today's gospel lesson, that Easter night, the disciples who are guilty and ashamed, alone and afraid, are hiding behind locked doors because they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that uncertainty, Jesus appears before them and says, peace be with you. Then he shows them his hands and his side, and they are overjoyed, and Jesus says it again, peace be with you. This was a common greeting in those days, but Jesus says it a second time because he means something deeper. Peace. Your past doesn't define you. Peace. Your guilt. Your shame. They can be forgiven. They have been forgiven. Peace. Whatever you have been, wherever you have been, whatever you have fallen short in, I give you peace with it. I give you peace with your guilt, with your shame, with your past, with your history, with your weakness. Peace. The Father power is great enough to lift you out of that, to make you into something new. Receive the peace I leave with you, the peace I give to you right now, and be restored. Be restored to my kingdom. Be restored to my family. See, as we hear Jesus restoring his disciples, welcoming them back home, we also need to hear what he said on the night when he was betrayed. See, in John 15, Jesus declared to the disciples, it is not that you chose me, but I chose you. I chose you. Jesus didn't choose the disciples because they were the smartest. They, they often missed the point. Jesus didn't choose them because they were rich. He didn't choose them because they were powerful. He didn't choose them because they were strong enough to save themselves or get themselves out of those moments of darkness or that they would have the power to stay strong when everything else was falling apart. No, Jesus chose them in spite of all that. Jesus says, I know your weakest moments. I know the darkness of your past. I know the worst you have to offer. And still I choose you. I choose you and I love you. And because I love you and the Father loves you and you are part of our kingdom, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you out as my ambassadors, as my emissaries, as my representatives in the world. I want you to share the good news of what you have seen and heard, what I have done, what has happened. I want you to be that word of peace, to share that forgiveness, to heal the broken, to lift up the weak and those you are torn down by the world. I want you to go out and proclaim the good news, to live out the gospel. Because I chose you. And just as Jesus chose and sent the disciples... Jesus has chosen each and every one of you in your baptism. He has claimed you as part of his family. He has said, you matter, you are worthwhile. And so now he sends you and me, his disciples, out into the world to proclaim the good news, to share that this gospel, this message, what Jesus has accomplished should matter for every moment of our lives as we share that with our neighbors with our friends, with our families, with our coworkers. We proclaim that good news by our words, but also by our actions. 
Now, as you're hearing this, you, you might be thinking, that's great, but you have the same struggle I have. Well, that's great that you want to send me, but, but I'm a failure. I am, I am weak. If I'm honest, there are days where I function as an unbeliever. I say I will lay down my life for Jesus, but then the trials come. And just like the disciples, I scatter or I cower in fear. There, I say that I will take up my cross and follow where you go, Jesus. I will take the hard road. But when push comes to shove and those moments come, I find myself taking the easy road every time. I struggle. I struggle. I I break my promises. I'm too weak to do it by my own. I'm too weak to be that kind of person. Too weak in my faith. Jesus says that, that he will be the strength I need, and yet I try and do it by my own abilities. Or I doubt God's providence for this situation, for this circumstance, to cover that sin. I know that Jesus forgives it, but I'm surely going to have to do some good works to make up for all the bad before he can really forgive it. I doubt the truth of the gospel. See, time and again, we are unfaithful. We break our promises. We are weak and wretched, ungrateful, and we turn away from that promise. And yet every moment in those times, Jesus remains faithful to his word. He comes to us. He forgives us. He offers us forgiveness. He claims us as his own. It's this profound mystery that despite our weakness, Jesus trusts us, he empowers us, and he sends you just as you are, right where you are. He sends you to proclaim that message of hope, that gospel message into everyone in your lives. He sends us. And maybe you're thinking, you know, that's great. I, I, I hear the message. I want to be sent. I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm going to step forward next time. But then the moment comes and the, the truth hits us that, that we're frail and we're weak. And we fall short. How can we do it? How can we step forth in boldness? That's where we need to go back to today's gospel lesson. Because what does Jesus do after he, he tells the disciples he's going to send them? He breathes on them. He breathes the Holy Spirit into their lives. He empowers them. He makes them into something new. Just as he breathed life into Adam in the garden and promised he would breathe life into those dry bones in the, in the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, now God breathes life into his disciples. He is going to strengthen them. He is going to give them what they need. See, in baptism, in the baptism of John the Baptist, there was forgiveness, there was repentance. But now, we are given, we are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that promised baptism in the fire and the Spirit has come upon us. You and I have been baptized. We have been given that same Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed into the disciples to empower us, to strengthen us, to go and proclaim that message. See, God doesn't abandon his disciples. He doesn't leave and say, go and figure it out. No, he breathes life into them. He empowers them. He strengthens the disciples. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He doesn't say, do it by your own power. He says, I'm going to give you part of myself. And so he gives us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to be sent, to assure us of the truth of his promise. As Paul writes in Romans, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That spirit now dwells in you through baptism. That spirit is your possession. 
It's not dependent on our strength. Thanks be to God. It's dependent on his strength in us. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He gives us the words in those moments when we don't know what to say. When it seems dangerous and difficult, he empowers us to speak that word of truth, to proclaim that gospel message. See, that's the truth we profess each and every week after the sermon. As we say the words of the apostles or the Nicene Creed together, we declare this truth. That God gives us strength. That this story, his promises are true. That we believe that God has created the world. That through his son we are redeemed. We are reclaimed. We are made new. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have that strength to speak his message in the world. And on the last day, no matter what happens here and now, we will be raised to eternal life. That is a promise we cling to. But saying those words alone in the creed, is not enough. See, when we confess that faith, it demands, it necessitates a response that we live out those words we confess, not just here on Sundays, but in every minute, every hour, every day of our lives, that we ground ourselves in that hope, in that truth, that Jesus alone is the way, truth, and life. We confess that creed even when it costs us. See, I think those creeds are important. And I want to share with you now the words of my friend Nathan Schultz that he spoke earlier last, or last week about the creeds. This is what he wrote. A creed is not a solemn prayer or a moment between one individual and the Father. It is a bold declaration spoken in the community of believers to confess a historic faith that came way before us and will continue long after us. With all Christians, we confess this with our brothers and sisters who have died at the hands of evil men until the day when evil will no longer have its say. See, this, this message that he wrote was written in response to a video posted of, of some Arabic Christians in Egypt who were confessing their faith in the public square the day after their brothers and sisters were killed in bombings at two Coptic Christian churches in Egypt on Palm Sunday. Forty-five of our brothers and sisters were killed because they sat in those very pews. Because they thought this confession was worth enough to die for. That they thought the risk was worth enough. I want to share that video with you right now. I want to share this video as they proclaim their faith. And it's in Arabic, but they're proclaiming the words of the Nicene Creed, which we're about to confess in just a few minutes. This confession, this is a powerful moment, but I just read an article two days ago. This is two weeks after those 45 brothers and sisters of ours were killed, and one of the widows of one of those men killed went onto the public radio in Egypt and declared that they forgave those who committed those atrocities, those families who were part of, of that bombing. 
That is boldness, not just in confession, but also in action of their faith. May God empower his church to speak with that kind of boldness, that kind of courage, that kind of faith. You know, we're blessed to live in a country where we can come and worship without fear, fear of of losing our lives. We sit in these pews and we don't have to worry that that someone outside is going to come and bomb our church. But we dare not take this confession lightly because 45 brothers and sisters in Christ were killed two weeks ago. And last year, over 90,000 Christians thought that sitting in these pews was worth dying for, and they were killed for their faith. They were martyred because this confession means enough to them because they believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and that despite our broken promises, his promises never fail. They bring us to eternal life. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand up and confess that same Nicene Creed with all the Christians around the world, with those Egyptian Christians, with those in Africa who are losing their lives for this faith, with those throughout history. Because we confessed, we have confessed this creed with billions of Christians for the last 1,500 years. And we dare not take this confession lightly. Would you please stand and confess with me? These words of our faith. Together, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.